morning. Is everybody awake? All right. Bill said something about, Bill Sullivan said something about even when he preaches, he has to have coffee or he gets sleepy. So we ought to have a coffee break and then come back. But, um, oh, there it is. Originally, uh, this message that I had prepared was for when I did the slides. I'm one of these really optimistic people that thinks I'm going to get through 30 slides in about 15 minutes. And uh, it became like, you know, home movie time. And I think I shared one quote. But it's really been on my heart. And I developed a little more because originally it was like a 15-minute uh, exhortation. So um, the other thing was that a portion of this message uh, in relationship to the Great Commission, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Great Commission, is in a booklet called Responsibility of the Believer that I wrote in uh, 2004, and there's copies available in the back if you want them. So that area in particular, because it's kind of extensive as far as in depth, is written in the booklet. Uh, the title of this message, and it's been in my heart for a period of time, and I, I think you've heard me coin the phrase, but uh, it's called Putting Feet to Our Prayers. Putting Feet to Our Prayers. And I was actually going to share this at the end, but I'll, I'll, sh I'll share it now. You know, God has chosen to partner with us. To partner with us. That's an incredible thing. To think of an awesome God who could do anything he wants to do, wanting to partner with us in the work of the gospel. To partner with us. Uh, we received a prayer challenge at the beginning of the year, and it's in two of the gospels. The times that I've heard it quoted, it's from Luke chapter 10, verse 2 through 3. And that has to do with the Lord sending out the 70 two by two. Uh, I found it also in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. And I think this one really speaks more to me. It has more context to it. Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Because there's quite a lead up to the actual statement. Okay. It says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Now, that really strikes me. He saw the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion for them because he saw that they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You know, one of the things I continually pray for is to have eyes to see what Jesus sees, to have a heart to feel what Jesus feels. This is what he was feeling, compassion. He looked, they were weary, they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Forgive me, I live in this neighborhood when I see that, I think about warehouse market. <laughs> if you want to see a cross mix of culture, I mean, uh, where, where's, where's Bob, my brother-in-law? Raise your hand. Bob used to call it scarehouse market. I mean, you, you got bikers, you got this, you got that. I mean, it's, it's really, it can be spooky. I mean, it's just prime territory. People who are weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So here's our challenge. The harvest is plentiful. They're weary. They're scattered. They're like sheep having no shepherd. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that the love of Christ compels us 
to speak the gospel. The love of Christ compels us. We have no choice. We have to speak because they are weary. They are scattered and they have no shepherd. It says he was moved with compassion. Chuck Farrow once said that the prayers, in reference to this verse he used to teach on, he said the prayers are to become the goers. The prayers are to become the goers. Having prayed this prayer, we then need to put feet to our prayers because God has chosen to partner with us. We are his vessels. We are the ones he wants to speak through. Look at uh, John chapter 4, verse 35 through 37. This is kind of a partner verse, John 4, 35 through 37. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. And this is referencing what Jesus said. Look to the fields. They are white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and others, I'm sorry, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So here it relates to the work of the gospel as sowing, some sowing, some reaping. We've heard this also. Some are watering. Okay. In fact, I have prayed after sharing with someone, Lord, now you send someone by to complete the task. You follow up. Okay. Some water, some sow, some water, and some reap. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8, Paul talks about this. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And again, we are not to be results driven. If that was the case, we wouldn't speak at all. Because many times it seems like it falls on deaf ears. I always pray after I speak, Lord, you have clearly said that your word does not return void, but it accomplishes that which you have proposed and prospers and that for which you sent it forth. I pray that because sometimes we don't get to see the results. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. I've always said that when relating to people in different situations, whether it's a cashier or a supermarket or uh, whatever God may uh, direct you and uh, the situations and opportunities we have to share the gospel, to find out where people are at and to take them further in and further up. Further in and further up. There's a, a whole area in Ezekiel 34. I wrote something called On the Heart of the Good Shepherd, which talks about those who've been driven away. There's those who are lost and there's those who are driven away. There are those who are adrift. And I think that's what Tulsa has a lot of. I mean, in ministering to people in Tulsa, a lot of times I just have to apologize for things that have occurred that have driven them out of the church. Uh, I've shared this before. It's hard to find a heathen person in Tulsa. Most of them have some knowledge of the Lord. Uh, Many of them have been in church and are Christians, but they've been driven away for some reason or other. The enemy separates them. So to minister to them, find out, relate, converse. You know, don't preach to them, but talk to them and then take them further in and further up. Look at Mark 16, 15 through 18. And this is the area of the Great Commission. Mark 16, 15 through 18. 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Someone once said, take the gospel into every man's world. We all live in different uh, settings and and different uh, situations. Taking the gospel into every man's world. We all have a sphere of influence and an area of responsibility, each one of us, where we move and have our being. Uh, The Greek word here for preach is keruso, and it means to herald, especially divine truth, the gospel, the good news, To preach just basically means to proclaim it publicly. It doesn't talk about numbers. Uh, To proclaim it to one person, to proclaim it to a dozen or a thousand is just as important. A lot of it has to do with just being obedient to the Lord, to speak the word of God. To proclaim publicly is to preach. That way we're not off the hook if we're not preachers. If we're not preachers, we're proclaimers. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the other side of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And here he debunks this whole thing about discipleship. Well, I'm not a discipler, that's a ministry. Uh, discipleship ministry. But basically it says here that to disciple just means to teach them to observe what God has commanded you. If it's a little, it's a little. If it's a lot, it's a lot. But we are to communicate and to strengthen and to disciple uh, those that we meet. I find in Tulsa a lot of times that's what I end up doing. They're saved. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, they think they've gotten off the hook, but the next thing I talk about, are you reading the Word? (laughs) Are you spending time in prayer? Oh, good, okay. Have you talked to anybody about the Lord lately? (laughs) You know, I just don't let go. You know, discipleship, discipleship. You can do a lot of discipleship in five, ten minutes. You can leave someone with quite a bit of what God has communicated to you and what he has laid upon your heart. And I I think the last message I shared was about endurance. And the last point in that, which I think was was the strongest, has to do with the need for fellowship, to encourage them to get into fellowship. And I have found, and this is uh, fairly recent, that God is re-emphasizing small groups. In different places that I go, it just seems like God is saying a fresh word in the area of small groups. And some of them are very interesting. It's kind of like something we had in the past where you go into a group and you find that maybe three or four different churches are even represented in that group. That God is trying to develop and strengthen the reality of these small groups. Now, in the past, we were talking about persecution, about tribulation, different things. We didn't see it come to pass as such. I think we're closer to that than ever. That may be part of it. That may be part of it. I know... Brother Bill, one of the founders of the church, had a vision for, they actually had a map and had sections that we would establish a house church in each one of these areas of the city. 
And then uh, one of his things was that we would even have a, a mock crisis where we would just shut down on a Sunday and call the house churches and the people would have to meet that Sunday in the house churches, kind of like a fire drill, you know. And, um, I mean, it was really on the hearts of the leadership. I think God is bringing that back to bear about small groups. And I would encourage you, I think it was mentioned before, but I would encourage you, if you're not involved in a small group and you're able, and I know that some people have strange work schedules, find a small group that, where you can fit in and feel comfortable. Move. I, we had a couple come to our, our, uh, our house church, and, and uh, then they went to a different house church, and that's fine. Find where you can fit in. But small groups, I really believe God is reemphasizing. Discipleship, sharing with others what God has given to you. So this is out of the booklet. It says here that the Greek word for the word go in the Great Commission is the word proruthentis. And it actually has three meanings. And uh, I know this is correct because I got it from a very famous Greek scholar. Brother Jim wrote this, so I quoted him in this book. But, but uh, number one, go, an imperative participle, either a command or appeal. And this is how we usually read it. We read this as a command. And I think rightly so. The Lord says go. I remember Keith Green said that basically uh, it wasn't we're, we're supposed to stay unless God says go. We're supposed to go unless God says stay. <laughs> he turned it around, okay, as a command. Number two, as you go, a simple participle, I really like this. When you go, wherever you go. When you go, wherever you go. And number three, if you go, a conditional participle, if you decide to go, and when you go. Now, what this says basically is that unless the Lord tells you a specific place to go, you need to preach, you need to proclaim and disciple as you go, whenever you go, and wherever you go. That's what it says. We are to preach, we are to proclaim everywhere we go, wherever we go. Now, Jim wrote a paper called The New Testament Church's Response to the Great Commission for one of the conclaves, and in regard to this definition, he says this, and I quote, this understanding of the participle would imply that if every Christian did this in his own place of residence, then the nations would be discipled. If every Christian took this to heart and did it, what an army moving. What an army moving. The Great Commission would be accomplished. The nations would be discipled. I challenge you. Are we doing this? Are we doing this individually? We need to take individual responsibility. Are we personally taking responsibility for the Great Commission in our own place of residence? In our own place of residence, our circle of influence. In the book, 70 Great Christians, it's about yay thick, good book, by Godfrey Hanks, in chapter 3, entitled, Christiany Comes to Britain, one of the great mission-sending nations of the world. How did Christianity come to Britain? He says this, How Christianity came to Britain poses an even more difficult question, and it is possible only to conjecture an answer. The most appealing suggestion is that Christianity was brought to these shores by ordinary people. Like most religious ideas in the first three centuries, it may have been brought by traders who heard the gospel in other parts of the empire. The churches at Lyons and Vienna in Gaul, for example, 
example, were probably founded by immigrants from Asia Minor in the second century, and the message could easily have been carried further to Britain by merchants. It is also possible that Britons traveling abroad could have become Christians and on returning to their native land, shared their new faith with others. That sounds like international student ministry. (laughs) Traveling abroad, returned to their native land, sharing their new faith with others. Whatever the case, it is certain the church in Britain was not founded as the result of an evangelistic mission, but because ordinary people shared the good news of Jesus with their friends and neighbors. A nation was one to the Lord, because people were obedient to what the Great Commission clearly states, that everywhere you go, whenever you go, you are to proclaim the gospel, you are to share your faith. Ordinary people share the good news of Jesus with their friends and their neighbors, proclaiming the gospel wherever they went. Brother Bill Sanders, one of, the, one of our founding pastors, used to always say, wherever you go, you are to gossip the gospel. I mean, basically, if somebody died in this city and rose again, we'd be talking about it. We have the reality. We have the witness. And it's true. He died. He rose again. Romans 10, verse 9 through 15. Romans 10, 9 through 15. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Powerful. And I, my testimony actually involves this verse that in the depths of despair I called upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord miraculously and divinely intervened and saved me. But then it says, how shall they save, how shall they call on him, sorry, how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, without someone to proclaim it to them? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? unless they go. Unless we go, unless we proclaim, they will not hear, they will not believe. And in that day, they will not, they will not be able to call upon the name of the Lord. It's a great responsibility. It's a great privilege. It's a great privilege that we've been given. But it's a great responsibility. We were not given this for ourselves alone. We were not given this just for our family and our children. We were given this for the world, for the world. And in particular, at this time and in this stage of our lives, for the sphere of influence where we move and have our being, that is why we were given this. That is why we were given this. We have been given a commission. In one definition of the word go, it's a command. Uh, Someone once said it's not the great suggestion, it's the great command. The Lord has given us a command to go and proclaim the gospel. And how can they believe if they've not heard? And if we don't tell them, who will? Who will tell them? Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. 
And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is after the Lord's resurrection and moving about for 40 days, and then he came to them, and they, he was going to be ascended into heaven. And before it happened, he spoke to them. He commanded them, do not depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in verse 8, he says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Do not leave until this power comes upon you because it is the power to witness. It is the power to witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. According to the scriptures, the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is that you might be a witness to Jesus. There are many other blessings and residual benefits, but all those actually come together and are given as equipment to be a witness to Jesus. That's what the Word of God says, to be a witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives power and wisdom. I remember when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we were witnessing on Peoria, and those were the days when the drug culture was up and down Peoria. And Man, I'll tell you what, I just picked the gnarliest guy I could find, just walked up to him, got in his face, and told him Jesus loved him and Jesus was Lord. And the power of God was so extreme. I went up to one guy, he was on acid, and I said these things to him, and he goes, whoa, what is that? What is that? I said, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God. That's what you're feeling. Because, you know, these drugs had make him, made him spiritually sensitive, and he was some kind of in-between realm, and I was speaking words, and he was feeling power. The power and wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit to witness. He gives us boldness, fearlessness, that we might have the words to speak that he gives us. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Greek word here is dilila, and it means timidity. It actually means timidity. So this verse is actually saying, for God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of a sound mind. He's given us, given us boldness, radical boldness. The Holy Spirit gives us courage. He also gives us the words to speak if we will be obedient to open our mouths. If we open our mouths, he will fill our mouths with his words. It might be something simple to begin with, just something very simple. And then the Holy Spirit kicks in. It's like turbo, you know. My son had a, had a little Subaru. It was a lot of fun, you know. You get in there and you hit the gas and it goes, whoa, and then the turbo, and you're, it's like something kicked you in the rear. You know, that's what happens. You start to speak, and then God comes in, and you're, inside you're going, whoa, this is cool. I can't believe I said that. I need to write that down, <laughs> you know? I mean, God's speaking through you. It's a reality. Mark chapter 13, verse 11. There are three verses about this. Mark 13, 11. When they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speaks, it is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit will give utterance and he will speak through you. In Revelations 19.10, Revelations 19.10, it says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You may start out very commonplace, but if you kick into the reality of the spiritual uh, depth of what God has done in your life and who Jesus is, you have to move into that spirit of prophecy. I've said before, there's no way you can testify that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Because you were not there. You did not see it happen. You have secondhand information. How can you be so convinced? How can you be so persuasive? Because the witness lives inside of you. He was there. It was him who raised Jesus from the dead. He was there. And he wants to speak through you the reality of what he saw and what he experienced. If you let him, he will do it. And you will be amazed. You will be amazed. And I wonder what that's all about where it says that if you confess Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The when the power of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit moves through you and testifies to the reality of Jesus Christ, something happens in you. You become more saved, more healed, more whole. Uh, when we had... Uh, Rehabilitation and discipleship, we had, we, we, we had a clear knowledge that until you got these guys out on the street and they started confessing their faith, they really weren't up over the edge into their healing. I believe that's the way it is with every Christian. Did you know that we're all in rehabilitation? We're all in rehabilitation. I never got out. I'm still there. Lord's still digging in. But there's something to this. I mean... That would be reason enough. I mean, the fact that every time I share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God moves through me, that I receive healing and I receive blessing in the presence of God. All of a sudden in a grocery store, there's two or three gathered in his name and Jesus shows up in a grocery store. Powerful. This is, this is very, very powerful. Matthew uh, 10, 16 through 20. And this has to do with Jesus sending out uh, the disciples uh, before him where he was going. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speaks. I think the more we worry about it, the more we get tied up in knots. Just relax. It's not you who speaks, but the Spirit of our Father who speaks in you. The Lord will give you words to speak, for it is not you speaking, but the Father speaking through you. We're to open our mouths and give utterance. God will give the necessary words. One more area of Scripture. And I was telling someone, every once in a while, you'll, you know, you've read the Scripture for years, and all of a sudden you go across the verse and it's like, wham! You know, where'd that come from? And the depth of this verse, Luke 21, 12 through 16. This is very concise. Luke 21, 12 through 16. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. That's what it says. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. I mean, purpose it to not think about it. For I will give you, listen to this, 
For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. That is powerful. You like to pray the word of God? Lord, I just ask you to give me a mouth and wisdom which all my adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You can pray that. I got a list of verses that talk about just the wisdom that came from the Lord's mouth. And I pray that for myself. And if any little bit of it comes true, things are going to happen. What a prayer. Lord, give me a mouth and wisdom that my adversaries would not be able to contradict or resist. That's what the Word of God says. How many here believe the Word of God? It's what it says. Now, now you've got to put yourself in that situation. You know, somebody says, well, I'm not going to do it until you give me that boldness in those words. He says, no, I'm not going to give you the boldness in words until you step out with nothing in faith. And we argue. You know? Think about Jacob. He argued with God. He wrestled, right? He wrestled. The thing I always found out about arguing with God, number one, you know, you don't win. That's number one. And and, and many times he kind of has to break you in the process. So it's better just to agree with God. This is what the Word of God says. He will give you boldness if you step out in obedience to the Holy Spirit. The Word of God also says that if you don't have boldness, you can pray for it, and God can give you boldness. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 28 through 31. And this is when Peter and John were arrested. They were threatened. They were told not to speak again in the name of Jesus. And they said, whether it is right to be obedient to you or to God, you must decide. But as for us, we're just going to speak what we've seen and heard. And that's all, God, that's all God's asking us to do. Speak what we've seen and heard. Don't pontificate or theologize. Just speak what you've seen and heard. What's real? I mean, people can see through. You know, the, the, the people on the street, they can see through religion. Don't be religious. Just speak what you've seen and heard. So after this occurred, I mean, we're reading a little bit into this, but obviously there was a struggle going on in them. They've been threatened. They're thinking, boy, if we do this again, we could be tortured, we could die. These were real men. These were real men. And so immediately they went to prayer. And what did they pray for? That basically this situation would not intimidate or hinder their witness. That's basically what they're praying. So here's what what they pray. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. He's saying, Lord, don't let us be intimidated by this. Things are a little shaky now. We need some more strength. We've been threatened. We're wondering what's going to happen. Lord, give your servants boldness that we may speak your word. And then you, by stretching out your hand, heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant. And I've always said about this time, God's up there going, whoa, I like that prayer. I like that prayer. Because here's what happens when they prayed. The place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They spoke the word of God with boldness. I always say, you know, they got baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and two chapters later, they get baptized again. What's that? They needed a fresh infilling. A circumstance occurred. There was probably a spiritual drain as they struggled with these issues of reality. 
that they were facing if they were going to continue in the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. And so they prayed, and it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't be surprised if four chapters later they're filled with the Holy Spirit again. It's a continuous infilling. It isn't just a one-time thing. Jim and I were in Russia uh, preaching on different things, and one of the pre- things I preached on was, um, it was being actually videotaped, was be being filled, that everyone needs to have their own personal Pentecost, but it needs to be a continual, ongoing experience. It has to be, because the things of life drain us in situations, and in this case, it was intimidation. The Lord liked the prayer. He endowed them with a fresh infilling and fresh boldness. Listen to this quote from Martin Luther's book, Table Talk. It's a thick book, and it is available now in classics. And Martin Luther says this, and, and this really strikes me. I, I just watched the movie Luther again. If you've ever, it was actually a Hollywood production. It was in theaters. Tremendous movie. I watched it again, you know. Just his humanity, and yet how God met him in situations. And you think about the diet of worms, and he didn't know what to say. In fact, the first time he was presented before him, he was tongue-tied. And that night, he wrestled with the enemy and cast himself upon the Lord. And the next day, he had, the Lord gave him the words to speak in a situation that was just, you know, his, his life was threatened. But Luther, a real man, says these kinds of things. You know, we put these guys on pedestals, and he says this. Christ desires nothing more of us than we speak of him. But you will say, if I speak or I preach of him, then the word freezes upon my lips. Luther, oh, regard not that, but hear what Christ says. Ask and it shall be given to you. I am with you in trouble. I will deliver him and I will bring him to honor. Call upon me, he's quoting scriptures, call upon me in the time of trouble and so I will hear you and you shall praise me. How could we perform a more easy service of God without all labor or charge? There is no work on earth easier than the true service of God. He loads us with no heavy burdens. He only asks that we believe in him and preach of him, proclaim him. We only fail in belief. I must rest satisfied with that which Christ spoke to St. Paul. This is Luther. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is strong in weakness. My power is strong in weakness. God wants to fulfill this prayer challenge, but he has chosen us through which to fulfill it. We are to partner with him. He is the power. He is the wisdom. But we are the vessels, and we need to step out in faith and fulfill that. I'd like to... And just by opening for a time of prayer, I believe God has spoken. I I prayed about this message. I believe that God has spoken to many people individually. And we need to just repent. Many of us need to just repent. Others give me boldness. I've tried, you know, and it's just been a bad experience or whatever it is. And to pray and get a breakthrough. You know, what happens is habits or not having a habit of doing something becomes strongholds. And the only way strongholds can be broken is through repentance and through prayer and for asking for God's grace. So I'd I'd like to open up the altar, and we're here to pray with you. Uh, Better yet, the Lord is here to meet you with boldness. 
and with his grace. And I want you to be honest with yourself. It's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to receive grace from God. And I want to have the microphone here, and if, if there are those who want to pray a prayer on their behalf or on behalf of the congregation, I want to take about 10 minutes. Just, you know, this was not a long message. So let's, let's do that. Let's, let's spend that time. And uh, maybe play a little bit, but let's just wait before the Lord and, and uh, please move in obedience uh, with God. Take this opportunity. Thank you, Lord. We commit this to you, Lord. We commit this to you. We want to be your vessels. We want to be your vessels. This isn't a special operation. This is a general army. We want an army of proclaimers, oh God. So break through on our behalf. This isn't a specialized calling, Lord. This is something you've put upon every believer who knows the truth. God, help us.